Hey everyone, welcome back to Digital Worship. I'm Pastor John Carolis. It's good to be with you here today as we are now in the month of November. Pastor Scott gave us a great little message last week on kind of an overview of the book of Acts, a few different lenses through which you can read that book. And I highly recommend taking some time and maybe taking a couple of weeks or, or a month and just reading through that book systematically, using it as kind of a daily devotion to see how God was at work through the early church in those early stages of the time after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. But this week and the weeks following, we are going to take a look at Matthew chapter 25. These are traditionally understood and very explicitly Jesus describes his words as being oriented towards the end times. That is the time when he comes back to enact kind of the end of the world. And because of the way culture has sort of been mystified by that idea and uh, maybe different church bodies and different cultural movements have described what that will be like, certainly a, a number of movies and uh, Fantasy books have described what this uh, age is going to be like, the calamities that will ensue, the wars that will take place, the natural disasters maybe. It tends to have this kind of dark and scary and terrifying connotation. But hopefully over the next few weeks, as myself and, and maybe Pastor Alan will get in here as well to share some, some of these messages with you, we can help to change the tone of your understanding of the end times. Now, it's true, Jesus' words in this part of Scripture did have a sense of urgency to them. They were very important because they fall in the book of Matthew very close to the time before he's betrayed, put to death, and buried in a tomb. It's getting close to the time where he won't have the opportunity to share with his disciples the truth of his kingdom, the mercy and the grace that are communicated to us through his own work by God the Father. And so that tone does come through in some of these parables. And this one that we're going to see today is a familiar one to us. It's called the parable of the ten virgins or the ten bridesmaids. And the idea is that um, some are well prepared for Christ's return and some are not. And Jesus' closing words leave us with an important challenge that we should be ready and be attentive to the time when he's returning. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, I'll admit, this is kind of a tense story. And what's exactly going on here? Well, at that time, this picture of the bridegroom arriving and being brought into the wedding feast with this entourage of, of maidens, of, of virgins, of bridegrooms, that was very familiar to them. That was how these celebrations went. But the interesting thing is, uh, there's a few details that Jesus places in the story that we know uh, will be kind of uh, true, uh, will certainly be true when he arrives back and comes back in his glory. First of all, it says the bridegroom was a long time in coming. That is, pe people didn't know when to expect the bridegroom to arrive. And just like that story, Jesus tells us that we don't know the day or the hour when he will arrive. 
Also in the story, there's foolishness and there's wisdom. The foolish ones aren't thinking about how long the wait may be. They're not thinking about whether they have enough resources, whether they're going to be ready for his arrival. And the wise the wise virgins are well prepared. They brought enough oil to last through the night. They were thinking that they were going to be ready for the bridegroom no matter when he showed up. They would have more than enough if he came early, and they would certainly have enough still if he came late. Then there's this shout that cries out after the virgins have all gone to sleep. In other words, nobody is really just standing there and, and, and waiting, and the only thing they're focused on is when he will arrive. Instead, they are simply sleeping. It's, they've gotten drowsy. Life has happened. They are simply waiting to be woken up and a shout rings out and all 10 of them wake up. Now, the reason that this is parallel with Christ's second coming is that when he arrives, there will not be any mistake that he has come, that he has uh, descended down from the heavens and is now um, enacting that judgment day, enacting that final uh, conclusion of his work. And so, uh, there's that shout in the night in this story that wakes up all ten of the virgins waiting for the bridegroom's arrival. And then there's the difficult part where five of them have to go away and see if they can find some oil, some, some, some oil to light their lamps that they would be ready for the feast. But in that time that they're away, the bridegroom enters into the feast with the five who are well prepared. The door is shut and he is not coming back out. The party has begun. The wedding feast is underway, and no one else is going to be let in, and no one is going to be let out. And Jesus closes the story with the challenge, therefore keep watch, for you don't know the day or the hour. Now, in that phrase, he gives us the attitude that we are supposed to have in our life on this earth. We are called to be ready for when he will come back. We are called to be well prepared. We are called to be like the wise virgins who are waiting for his return. But what exactly does that mean? Now, it doesn't mean to become a doomsday prepper, to dig a bunker deep underground, to, to line the walls with concrete and put enough canned foods in to survive three lifetimes and then to shut the door and simply wait for Jesus to come knocking. That's not what we're talking about. Nor are you supposed to become so focused on your own life that you strive to, to work, in, work hard enough and, and accumulate enough good things in your life to help enough people so that when he arrives, he will give you a crown of, of an award for being the best person ever, the, the best Christian, the best religious person alive. That's not what we're working for either. Instead, he asks for a posture of preparation a posture of awareness, a posture of being awake to his arrival. What exactly does that mean for you and I? Well, the teachings of Jesus, he communicates to us throughout the Gospels and throughout the work of the apostles he sent out into the world. And that's why I mentioned that book of Acts again. See, that is the life of one who is ready for Jesus to come back. There is a sense of urgency in the disciples after Jesus goes back to heaven. They receive the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and they're sent out into the world. And their work is one that is not hurried and not, um, not threatened, but it is one that is urgent, one that is intentional, one that is energetic. The disciples go out into the world and they start in Jerusalem and they begin to preach the good news to the people around them. And as their movement grows, they begin to, uh, to delegate certain roles that must be fulfilled to other people. And they start bringing in people into the leadership and support of their work in bringing the church to the world. After Jerusalem is established and, and, and working well on its own, they expand their project out into the world around them, the, the regions of Samaria, and then even further out into the reaches of the Greek empire at that time, or the, I should say the Roman empire at that time. 
And what we can see happening is that these disciples were simply trying to make people aware of the fact that Jesus is coming back. And Jesus coming back doesn't have to be something you're afraid of because he has done a great work to make himself known to you as your comforter, your savior, your friend, your leader, your shepherd, even your brother. You don't have to be afraid of the king coming back in his glory because he knows your name. He has given his life to make you new, to make you pure, to make you clean and righteous, to bring you into a place where you can have a fulfilling relationship with him. And if you recognize that, if you trust in that promise, if you read the word and you trust in that promise, if you're made new by God, then Jesus coming back becomes a hopeful event, an event we're excited and enthusiastic about. But it's one that we want to bring people alongside of us that also can be ready. We want people to be in on this wonderful secret. We want people to know the joy that comes with the realization that Jesus is coming back soon. So it doesn't have to be an attitude of fear or an attitude of anger or an attitude filled with uh, scare tactics trying to threaten people into a relationship with God. Instead, we should live our lives according to the callings that God has placed on our heart, but in such a way that we're inviting people in to know that Jesus is coming back, know that he's coming back, and know there will be a time when the door will be shut to the wedding feast and there won't be anyone coming in or coming out. But God has given us an invitation to be inside that heavenly feast, that heavenly kingdom, that eternal glorious place without sorrow, without problems, without, uh, without terror, without sickness. Instead, it's joy, it's companionship, it's glory, it's grace. It's happiness filling our hearts. And we have an invitation at that table, to that feast, into that celebration. And we are simply called to be ready, to be waiting, and to be inviting others to have that same uh, same posture of attentiveness. As we look into the chapters and the weeks ahead and we think more about that time when, when Christ comes back into the world, we can do so with hope rather than fear. We can do so with joy rather than intimidation. We can do so with confidence because Christ has given us the same power that raised him from the dead to invite others into the same relationship with him. I hope you have a great week. I hope that that encouragement blesses you over the next few days. And I look forward to the time when we can be back together for our next digital worship. I'll see you next time.